Let us read God's word. Tonight's reading is taken from Luke chapter 17, verse 20 to 37. It can be found on page 1051 in the church Bible, so you should be able to follow it along. So starting at verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Let's just pray. I think we're going to need to. <laughs> Lord, as we come to this passage, um, there's a lot of complicated stuff in it. But we just pray right now that your Holy Spirit will speak to us through my words, through our thoughts, and help us to learn more of you uh, and know more of you in our lives. Amen. Well, verse 37. Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. We've got any pictures up. There we are. There's a vulture. That's how Jesus ends this passage we just read. Uh, it's clearly wrapping it all up. But what on earth does it mean? And the commentators have different views on it. Some say, well, it, well, it's something about understanding the signs. And other people say, no, 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 it's something about God being in control of creation. Uh, and other people say, no, 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 it's, it, it's something to do with death and judgment. And it seems a pretty good principle when you hit a passage like this that the chances are... Jesus meant all of those things wrapped up in this last 
statement. So that's what we're going to think about, those three aspects of what that little saying means. So first off, vultures are signs. Well, in what way is a vulture, how on earth can a vulture be a sign? Well, I don't know whether any of you have ever uh, lived in Africa or, or, or India or ever done a game drive where you watch a wildlife program and you know that if there's been a kill, there will be vultures. And you can see them in the distance or scrabbling around in the bottom. And the vultures tell you what's going on. They are evidence of something's happening. And that seems to be the point behind uh, the beginning of this passage. Look at verse 20. Uh, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they ask Jesus, when's the kingdom of God going to come? They want some proof of, of God doing something. I think nowadays we wouldn't ask the question quite like that, would we? But we would ask questions like, well, where is God? When's he going to turn up? What's the proof that he even exists? And look at the extraordinary answer to that. Verse 21. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now there's another ambiguous saying, isn't it? What does Jesus mean? Um, and, and your versions of the Bible, if you're following this and different ones, you might have slightly different uh, wording around that. But whichever way you read it, what Jesus is saying is the evidence for God at work is right in front of you. It's right here. You are looking at that evidence. Now, in what way is that true? Well, in one way, it's Jesus saying, if you want to see God at work, if you want to see the evidence for God at work, then look at me. Jesus is saying, look at me if you want to see God. That's an amazing thing to say. It's one of the things we spend a lot of time exploring on Alpha. It's, it's, it's the reason why I think it was Phil's phrase, we keep banging on about Jesus, because that is his extraordinary claim. That he is God. If we want to know God, we look to Jesus, and he points us to God. So in some ways, Jesus answered, I'm in the midst of you, you know, where's God in all this? Well, I'm here, says Jesus. But then there's the other way of interpreting it, which is Jesus saying, well, I'm in the midst of you, of us. And that changes the direction of our focus, doesn't it? We're not looking so much at Jesus in person, we're looking at Jesus in us, in, in you and me. Because the point is that uh, if you become a Christian, when we do become Christians, at that point, Christ comes into our lives. His Holy Spirit indwells us. Remember that bit at the end of John, uh, when Jesus, uh, almost one of the last things he does, he breathes over the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So when we become Christians, we have the Holy Spirit of Jesus living in our lives. 
And that means that if we want to see God at work, there's two places we can look. Uh, We can look at the Bible, and we can read about Jesus, and we spend a lot of time doing that, and that's important that we do that. But the other thing folk can do is they can look at you and me, if you're a believer here, and see Jesus at work. They can see the Holy Spirit living in you and me. That is actually the historic role of the people of God, isn't it? To point people to God through how they live and what they say. Now, of course, that's a bit boring, isn't it? Because that's not what people want from God. People want something something much more dramatic. Uh, They want something much more obvious. And Jesus says here, doesn't he? He says, that time will come. But he says, for the moment, look at verse 20, the coming of the kingdom of God can't be observed. It's not big, grand, exciting stuff. It is simply seeing Jesus in his word and in the lives of you and me. So, here's a question you won't get asked very often. Um, Are you feeling vulture-like? Are you pointing people to the Lord Jesus? If you think back, or I think back on my last week, what, you know, the stuff that happens, about work emails, maybe you had half-time, half-term with the family, uh, queuing in little, uh, sitting in a doctor's waiting room, uh, phoning customer services and, and um, talking at length about sorting out a problem. I mean, we all have these exciting lives, don't we? But as you live out that life, what are people seeing? What are people seeing in me? Are they seeing a, a, a slightly tubby, uh, a pale, retired, grumpy old accountant? Judith is laughing. <laughs> Most of that's true. Or are they seeing the Lord Jesus? How's it been for you this week? That is quite a challenge, isn't it? You know, Acts 1 says the Holy Spirit gives us power to be witnesses. But goodness me, we're not very good, are we, often, at at tapping into that power. Uh, and, And we struggle with that. And if you do struggle with it, well, be encouraged, because I think Jesus knew that. Because in this passage, look at verse 22, he says, you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. We'll long to see Jesus. He said, oh, wouldn't it be brilliant if Jesus was here? Because this is so difficult. It is so difficult living out a life of Jesus in front of people. And because it's difficult, we wobble uh, and, and we doubt and I think that is why, within this passage, there's, a, there's an encouragement. Uh, and, and there's also a bit of a warning about taking these things seriously. Now, you might not think that vultures are encouraging. So this, is, this may sound a bit sort of counterintuitive. But, you know, the people in Jesus' day would have recognized what Jesus said. They'd have recognized this saying because it's a quote from a passage where God is telling us that he is in control. And it actually comes from the book of Job. Uh, And Job is probably the unluckiest man in the universe. If you read what happens to him, everything goes wrong. He's having a really hard time. And God speaks to him. And he effectively says, Job, don't worry. Don't be anxious because 
I'm in control. I've got a plan. And he sort of runs through in the uh, in Book of Job. He runs through all sorts of aspects of how he's in charge of the created world. <coughs> and then it's chapter 39. He says this. He says, when the vulture makes his home in the rocks, he says, I'm there. And then the vulture sees his prey from far away. And then in verse 30, he says, where the slain are, there is he. Where the dead body is, that's where the vultures are. So it's a bit of an obscure reference for us to pick up, isn't it? But actually what Jesus is, is going right back to that reassurance in the book of Job to say something that we need to hear time and time again, don't we? God is in control. He has got a plan. And you may have picked it up, but in those verses in Job, there's a sort of progression about the vulture perching up high, sees his prey, then feeds on the body. And if we work through this little passage, you see Jesus is working out God's plan. So it's verse 21, we have Jesus among the people. But then he says that's going to end. Verse 25, you see he talks about suffering and being rejected. And then he talks about a time of confusion with all sorts of ideas buzzing around, verses 22 and 23. And then, verse 30 and verse 24 too, Jesus will come back. And he'll come back in an unmistakable way. And that will be the time when God acts dramatically. That'll be the time when people will see God acting very, very obviously. So Jesus is saying God is in control. He has a plan. And because the God revealed to us in Jesus or or even to Job is one who loves us and, and, and cares for us, then we can carry on trusting him, can't we? Even if we can't see him physically we can rest assured that our eternal future is bright. Um, In the meantime, we do wobble. I was amazed to read this in John Calvin, the sort of great reformer thinker. Uh, He said this, he said, the minds of believers are seldom at rest, or at least not always tranquil, which is a bit of an understatement, isn't it? You know, one of perhaps the greatest Christian thinkers says, no, it's, it's not easy. Our minds are often not tranquil and we're anxious about silly little things, aren't we, which really don't matter. Or we might be living uh, just inside the Ukrainian border and facing such an uncertain future. But whatever the situation, we wait in trust. And these vultures are just part of God's created order and are part of a reminder that we have a great, loving creator God who cares for those who put their trust in him. So there's an encouragement in the vulture, but there's also a bit of a warning about taking this stuff seriously. Because vultures, we kind of automatically associate with death and, and death and decay, don't we? Here's a, here's a disgusting fact. Um, this is the Griffon vulture. This is apparently the vulture that everybody would have been talking about. The Griffon vulture, you might just pick up, has a bald neck. Uh, and that's to stop all the blood and gore clogging up its feathers when it flies, when it's sort of ferreting around inside your carcass. It doesn't want the blood uh, clogging itself up. So that's probably a good reason why vultures were ceremonially unclean. 
they were just related so closely to, to, to death. Look at the, the question the disciples asked at verse 37. Bit of an odd question. They say, where, Lord? And just before that, you look through verses 30 to 34, Jesus has been saying uh, that when he returns, uh, one will be taken and one will be left. And it's pretty obvious the one who's taken, where the one who's taken is going to be, is going to be with God. But what about the one who's left? What happens to the person who's left? Well, the answer seems to be quite a serious one. It seems to be death. Where the vulture gathers, there are dead bodies. And as you look at that passage, it might seem a bit random, doesn't it? Uh, Two people sleeping, uh, one gets saved, one doesn't. Uh, Two men, two women working, one gets saved, one doesn't. What's the difference? Why, why, why is one saved and, and one isn't? Well, in this passage, the answer seems to be the person who's saved is the one who's made time for God in their lives. That seems to be Jesus' point, verses 26 to 33. Uh, as, he, as he goes through uh, those stories of Sodom and Noah, he doesn't say that these guys were particularly evil. I know there's, there's stories about that in the Old Testament, but here Jesus is drawing out a slightly different point, I think. Uh, what he's saying is, look, these people just didn't care. They weren't doing anything particularly wrong. Eating and drinking and trading and planning, the things Jesus talks about here, there's nothing wrong with those in themselves. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that it was all happening without any regard for God at all. No room for God at all. They had other priorities. Uh, And that's the point about Lot's wife, isn't it? She famously escapes Sodom, turns round, because she wants her old lifestyle back. And she dies. And Jesus is making the same point here. Verse 31. He says, at that moment, when we meet Jesus, he says, don't rush inside and grab your stuff. That's a, that's a good sort of standard pub discussion, isn't it? When you, got, when you run out of conversation, you know, if there was a fire, uh, what would be the one thing uh, you would save? from your house. Um, I looked it up to see what the most popular answers to that. Um, and it was pretty predictable, really. Stuff like jewellery, photos, laptops. And then further down the list, you've got some other odder things. Uh, one was my T-shirt collection, which I thought was a, a strange thing to want to say. Um, and someone was uh, going to say my tortoise, which I, I suppose is all right. But the point here is not about how quickly you react the point is about how rightly you react it's not as though there's no time to grab your tortoise or there's no time to grab your t-shirts that isn't the point the point is what's important to you at that point we need to react rightly whoever tries to keep your life says verse 33 will lose it whoever loses their life will preserve it Jesus is saying, I am more important than, well, not just tortoises, but, but, but stuff, careers, anything else. I am the most important thing in your life. And if those things are too important to us, then we risk missing out. 
You know, there'll come a point in time when we are all going to face the Lord. It might be uh, when the sky is ridden up like nightling across the globe. Or it might be when we die. But at that point, we're either going to look on the face of our Saviour as our friend, or we'll look away like Lot's life and yearn for what we left behind. And one response leads to life, and the other one leads to death. And that's a very personal thing, isn't it? A personal issue to deal with. Have you noticed in these examples, uh, in verse 34 onwards, it's always, Jesus says, just two people. One saved, one isn't. This is an individual choice each one of us has to make. What is most important to us? Is it the stuff, the careers, the holiday, whatever? Or is it the Lord Jesus? So where there's a dead body, there the vultures will gather, says Jesus. So there's a sign there. If we want to know God, then we look at Jesus. And we can see Jesus in his word, and we see Jesus in the lives of anyone who follows him. And those of us who are Christians here, well, we know we wobble, we know we go wrong. But we can trust that we have a Lord who's in control, who's planned our salvation from the beginning of time. And there will come a time when we all meet him face to face. And our eternity depends on how that meeting goes. Let's just pray. Father, thank you. that you have saved us. Thank you uh, that we can trust in you, knowing that our future is assured. But help us to live for you uh, this week. Help us to show Jesus uh, as we go about our day-to-day lives. And may we point people, other people, to you through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.